Hey, I'm Steve Fallon. Thanks for listening. This episode is supported by Fan Fiction, the new community from the podcast host who have been supporting this show for a long, long time now. And basically, it's the place to go to learn about podcasting, to develop your own, to grow the one that you have, but also to do it within a community of other people doing exactly the same thing. Check them out via the link at beingfreelance.com and I'll tell you more later. Right now, though, let's find out what it's like being freelance for illustrator Emma Block. One of the biggest things I've learned is that not every opportunity is a good opportunity, but I'm quite glad that I made those kind of mistakes really early on. I've started using Instagram stories as well. I sort of show behind the scenes and I talk to the camera as well. I kind of say, hey, Instagram, this is what I'm doing today. I get so many more Instagram messages than I ever did before. The other thing is I have noticed that it sort of drives sales to my shops because for weeks I can be showing, I was working on Christmas cards, so people saw the initial sort of sketches and then the paintings and they saw how I was editing it and then I sort of showed them when they first arrived. So as soon as they went to my shop, because people had seen the whole process on Instagram stories, they wanted to buy them straight away. Yes, here we go then, chatting to Emma, who you just heard, who is a super talented illustrator. Uh, Links, of course, at beingfreelance.com through to her work so that you can check that out. And while you're there, why not hit subscribe on our newsletter and also uh, make sure you hit subscribe on iTunes or whatever podcasting thing of choice that you like to use. And haven't asked this for a while if you're able to leave a review that's awesome on itunes in particular it really helps other people find us but also you know if they do find us then they'll read your review and they'll go oh well that person likes it maybe i will too so uh, that's really really appreciated no worries if you can't no pressure or anything i won't weep well i will i will weep i will cry but yeah if, if you can cope with that on your conscience, that's fine. Right, let's crack on then and uh, talk to this week's guest. And that is London-based illustrator Emma Block. Hey, Emma. Hi. So, as ever, how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? Well, my very first freelance job was probably when I was about 17. I'd set my blog up when I was 16 and then I got my first freelance illustration job with a greetings card company when I was 17. Wow. Um, Yeah, and I set up my Etsy shop when I was 17. So with the Etsy shop, I couldn't even have my own PayPal account because I wasn't 18 yet. So my dad had to do it all and sign contracts for me. (laughs) So yeah, it's all just kind of grown out of uh, my blog, really. I started my blog um, when I was 16, way back in 2006, so um, people hadn't really heard of blogs back then, but I was just sort of sharing what I was doing, sharing my drawings whilst I was in sixth form, and I got some business cards from Moo and shared them on my blog, and they saw them and they got in touch about licensing some designs, uh, which they probably still have on their website, which are terrible, because <laughs> they're about 10 years old. <laughs> and yeah, it just kind of gradually snowballed from there I just kind of picked up little bits of work so your very first freelance gig came because somebody had seen your blog and contacted you yeah so you didn't have on your blog for example you know you can pay me to do this why not work with me no at that it took a long time I think to call myself a freelance illustrator because at that point I wouldn't have even said I was an illustration student I was just a just a student at sixth form 
Um, so it is amazing that they, you know, took a chance on a 17-year-old and they worked with um, Woodman Stern as well, who were a big greetings card company in the UK. Yeah, and looking back, it's amazing that they were happy to work with someone with no experience and no qualifications, um, who wasn't even an adult yet. What an opportunity. So did you then seize that opportunity or did you, I don't know, continue, you know, studying? Um, I just kept on um, studying really and doing little bits of paid work alongside. Um, It had always been my plan to be an artist or to be an illustrator. I'm quite lucky in that I've always been very sure about what I want to do and very sort of focused. So I didn't do A-levels. I just studied um, art and design for two years at sixth form and then didn't do a gap year or a foundation. I went straight to university. So I've always been quite focused and yeah, just did little bits and pieces whilst I was studying. So in my third year, I got a book job. So that was um, kind of crazy because I was doing my final major project and working on a book at the same time. That's awesome. So all of this work through all of that period as you're studying is coming to you via your blog. It's not like uh, you you went and got an agent or anything like that. No, that yeah, that was all um, through my blog and Twitter and I think just coming up well in Google image searches. I think it takes a while to get good um, search engine optimization, but because I'd been blogging and doing this for years and years I think that's why I was kind of coming up quite well in searches yeah so describe to us what your blog was like then was <laughs> and how, how often were you sharing that you know that probably kind of thing. way more often now because I had more time on my hands and oh really embarrassing it was more of a bit of everything it was I think blogs back then they were more like online diaries. I, you know, there was no sense that you could make a career from blogging or that it was... Because now they're more like sort of online magazines a lot of the time, but back then it was much more diary-like. Um, so as well as sharing my artwork, there'd just be like stuff about my dog and sick form and stuff. <laughs> but there was this thing that I did called Illustration Friday where they'd give you a theme every Friday and you just create a piece of artwork based on that word. Um, So I did that every week and shared that. So I was posting quite regularly. I mean, the reason that blogging and social media was so amazing for me at that time was because I'd been quite ill for a long time. So I left school when I was 13 and didn't go back to school till I was 16. So having this kind of social life online with Twitter and blogging and blogging was much more of a community back then you used to get lots more comments than you do now so that was really amazing and that sort of really um, encouraged me having that feedback from people. How wonderful how has your blog or your social uh, I don't know I don't want to use the word strategy but technique how about that like how has that changed in the past 10 years Um, as to what you share? It's become a lot more focused and professional Um, because like I say when I started my blog I was very young and it was just much more community and sharing and diary like Um, and now I'd probably be a little bit less open on social media and a bit more professional. Um, I think maybe a year or two ago, probably a year ago, 
I started taking Instagram a little bit more seriously and just trying to keep a high level of quality of what I was posting, posting consistently, using hashtags, paying attention to what people like and giving them more of the things that they like and less of what they don't like. So no one cares about what I'm eating for lunch, but people love seeing sort of behind the scenes what I'm drawing, what I'm painting. And that really worked because my numbers on Instagram have kind of grown ridiculously over the last year. Um, so yeah, it's only recently I've actually implemented a little bit of strategy. <laughs> and do you find you can see that work comes your way because of that? Yeah, definitely. I get sometimes messages directly through Instagram or people will tell me, oh, I'm so happy to commission you. I've been following you on Instagram for ages. It's always amazing, actually, when I meet people like publishers at book launch parties and they say, oh, we all love your blog <laughs> in the office or something like that. It's, um, yeah, it's really bizarre. But yeah, I definitely get a lot of work through Instagram and Pinterest as well, I think. That's awesome. And, and so f through this 10 years, it has remained work coming to you or would you say that you reach out to find work as well? I used to do that. I'm in a position now where I don't really um, have to. If there is, there's a few dream clients that I would absolutely love to work with. Um, so I would reach out to someone like that. But for the most part, um, work just comes to me because of the social media and my website and my blog and I've got a lot of repeat clients at this point but when I graduated five years ago I would kind of compile lists of art editors and send out emails and things but I haven't done that in about a year or so. It's nice but it sounds like it really evolved organically like as mm -hmm. a business. Yeah. So what did you find yourself learning as you sort of went along the way were there like stumbling blocks or challenges that you you faced clearly you could draw but what about the or paint or what you know the art yeah. side you've got that nailed but what about the turning it into your living yeah the business side has been kind of um more of a learning curve because they don't really teach you that in university and um yeah one of the biggest things i've learned is that not every opportunity is a good opportunity uh, when you start out, you're so excited to be offered anything. And now I can more clearly look and go, actually, that's not such a good deal. Or actually, that's a little bit of a risky proposition to do, for example, do a load of designs, which are going to be no advance royalty only for a brand new company that has no tracked history of sales. You know, you could do a load of work for them. And you'll never actually get paid anything, which was something that happened again when I was probably like 18 or something. But I'm quite glad that I made those kind of mistakes really early on. So now I'm more critical about not necessarily getting excited every time I get an email with an opportunity, sort of thinking, is this actually good for me mm. or not? And the main thing is just learning how to price your work, just charging more. That's been sort of steadily improving. I think it's just when you start out, you're so grateful to do anything. So pretty much whatever the budget is, you say yes. And it's taken a while for me to learn that people don't tend to come to you with their full budget straight away and that you don't have to say yes. And I think because I'm so busy at the moment and I've just got the confidence to actually walk away from a job if the budget's ridiculously tiny even if it seems like a nice job 
I'm quite happy to walk away from things, which is good because it gives you a little bit more negotiating power. Yeah, far easier to negotiate when you genuinely don't care about getting that work. Maybe care is the wrong word, but you don't need it. Yeah, you know, and there's been jobs that I've been approached with and I've quoted, you know, not even ridiculously high. I've just quoted a proper amount and they haven't got back to me. And I'm like, actually, I'm quite relieved because that was a crazy amount of work and I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't. (laughs) There was something I was asked to do uh, seven windows in a restaurant um, in London. And that would have been so much work doing one. I did one window display recently which was lovely but it's absolutely exhausting spending all day in a window painting on the window to do seven massive windows in a huge restaurant would have been a bit of a killer so when they didn't get back to me it was like no that's fine (laughs) (laughs) yeah I saw that actually like the the window display so this is where you actually stand in the window and well paint on the window yep did that come from an opportunity that somebody simply asked by the way, could you do this? Or like, did you start thinking, I don't know, what services can I offer? And just thought, I could paint wherever you want. Yeah, um, I've only done windows a couple, couple of times. It's not a big part of my business, but I did my first window years ago for a friend of mine um, who's a florist, and I'd seen other people do it. So I sort of said, can I paint on your window? It'll probably look a bit like this and we'll take photos and um so that's what got me this job years later that they'd seen the photos of it on somebody's blog so yeah I do that quite often I sort of see oh other people are doing this on social media I might have a go see if I can do that as well so how how has your income streams diversified um it's definitely diversified a lot from when I um first started freelancing so I think when I graduated I thought I would just be a typical illustrator and I would do books magazines greetings cards packaging and that's still the bulk of what I do but I also have an online shop I teach workshops I do live illustration at events and I've just started doing more kind of collaborative campaigns with um, brands so I'm getting paid to do an illustration, but I'm also getting paid to post it on, on my social media as part of a campaign. Oh, I see. So they're, they're coming to you for your audience as well. Yeah, because I think it's quite unique to have a reasonably sized audience, but also to have this really... Well, there are a few other illustrators who are starting to do this work as well. But I just think it's a nice combination. Um, you've got an audience who obviously loves your work and then you can do something really nice with a brand I did something lovely with uh, P&O Ferries recently where my followers could submit holiday photos and then seven people won their portrait um, like their holiday photo was painted as a watercolor um, and then I shared them all on social media and that was such a lovely campaign because I loved seeing the photos that were submitted people who want pictures were very happy it was just a really nice campaign it was a really nice thing to do yeah they they looked awesome how do you manage your your time like because obviously you can't outsource what you do it takes a certain amount of time to do what you do so yeah how how do how do you find managing your workload and your day 
Um, lots of to-do lists. <laughs> I've got like a daily to-do list and a, um, a book which has all of my projects that month and what stage they're at and all of my workshops and events. And yeah, just trying to be organised and not booking too many events and workshops in the same week or just trying to be realistic and saying to people, yes, I can do the job, but I can't start for two weeks or I can't start until the end of the month. So just trying to be as organised as possible and not letting it get on top of me. I was going to say, has it gone on top of you? Because th- that it can be tempting to take everything on when it comes your way. Yeah, it can. It's been something that I found really difficult and I've been very, very busy <laughs> the last sort of year or so. Yeah, it is a challenge. I've got a lot better um, at saying no to things, um, but I do find it really difficult. Um, part of the problem for me is that for the last year and a bit I've been struggling with repetitive strain injury obviously caused by overwork in the first place and then overwork is obviously going to make it even worse so I have to be careful about not taking on too much and being realistic not pushing myself too much. Yeah it's an interesting thing actually because obviously in workplaces, normal workplaces, if you're employed by somebody, you know, they come around and they make sure you're sitting right. They even send you on a course to make sure you're mm. looking at your computer right. And it's easy to laugh at those things. But um, when you're self-employed, you don't have that. And you've got to look after yourself. And for that matter, you don't get sick pay either. Well, unless maybe you've in- insured yourself or like income protection or anything like that, have you? Or No, no, I don't. So no, no sick pay. Um, and... I go to a physiotherapist, but I pay for that myself, which is really helpful. But yeah, it's taken a while to kind of get sort of better working practices and better posture and better habits and that kind of thing. Because, you know, nobody told me at university, we were all told to work harder. And I wish there was somebody telling me to work less hard and to (laughs) rest a little bit more. Yeah, and it can be easy to sort of ignore those first signs of it as well. Mm. Okay, I tell you what, let's just pause for a moment and let me remind you that this episode is supported by the podcast host who have just recently launched their new site, Fan Fission, which is the place to go to learn about podcasting so that you can sort of learn the basics of it or improve the skills that you already have, but to also join a community of other people doing the same thing things so either getting a podcast off the ground or growing or monetizing the one that they have so they have in-depth courses live classes live masterminds a huge resource library of stuff that they've built up over the years but uh, really important for what they're doing with fan fishing is that supportive community so people that you can chat to guide you who will motivate you and of course you'll do the same back to them as well so check it out fanfishing.com and you can find the link at beingfreelance.com and thank you very much to the podcast host for uh, supporting this as ever back to you though emma and so we, we were talking about the different income streams and diversifying that does that help when it comes to cash flow creating a, a nice steady stream yeah definitely um diversifying um what i do has really helped with cash flow and A lot of the time with illustration jobs, sometimes they can take a couple of months to actually get paid, particularly big things like books. So 
it makes sense to do a lot of things like running a shop or running workshops where you're getting paid almost immediately. So yeah, doing a lot of different things has really helped. Um, I think it'd be very difficult if I was only doing children's books, for example. That would be really difficult to have because you'd kind of get all of your money, say, two times a year, and that would be it. So having so many different little, um, big and little projects, and it's good because it just means I'm kind of busy all year round. So if illustration commissions get quieter just before Christmas, I'll probably be busier with my shop or I'll be busier with events or something like that. Mm. And how about, uh, you know, talking about looking after yourself when it comes to sort of taking holidays? Like, have you just been tempted to just keep working or do you find time to actually switch off and not do anything? Or Yeah, I am a bit of a workaholic, so I do find it difficult to switch off. But um, yeah, my husband and I do take nice holidays. He loves traveling and he's the one that's always wants to go on holiday or always trying to get me to go out and have a coffee and take an hour's break. So we spend way too much on coffee every week. Um, he's a freelancer as well. He's a jazz musician and yeah, he always, I'm the sensible one. He always wants to just go somewhere crazy and go for like a month or two months. And I'm going, Oh, well, we are freelancers and we don't get holiday pay. Let's go for two weeks. (laughs) Um, so we went to Mexico this year on our honeymoon and then we just had a little, um, city break in Seville last month, which was nice. When it, it's, it's interesting. So being married to a, a freelance musician as well. Mm-hmm. How, how do you structure your like separating work from well life I suppose especially like do you work from home yeah I work from home I would probably have slightly unusual work day because my husband obviously works sort of evenings and weekends so um sometimes I go out and do stuff in the evenings but quite often I work in the evening because he's out and the house is quiet and again we both work a lot of weekends because I teach workshops and do events so we try and take um Mondays off when we can go do something together go do an exhibition or something but I don't have set kind of nine to five days at all but that's what's great about it yeah it suits me especially with this repetitive strain injury because I can kind of work in a very stop start kind of way so I can kind of work at my own pace yeah it's nice is there anything that you've um I mean you mentioned like getting more into Instagram over the last year like when it comes to to marketing yourself is there anything else that you've experimented with that we haven't touched upon I don't think so I think Instagram's kind of been the big one for me and I've started using Instagram stories as well which I'm really enjoying and people keep saying that I should do a YouTube channel but I think that's a little bit too much of a um, time commitment for me but yeah I think a lot of people say they don't have time to do social media but I've kind of I just really enjoy it. I've always been doing it. So I find it so much more natural and enjoyable just to be posting a picture on Instagram every day and sharing my life rather than emailing a list of 200 art editors or something. And I suppose it brings you that sense of community that you used to enjoy from your blog years ago. Yeah, definitely. Um, And the nice thing about living in London is there's so much crossover between people that you meet online and then you meet them at an event or the other way around you meet someone at an event and then you go oh we'll follow each other when we get home and it's just really natural like it would feel way too forward to meet someone at an event and say can I have your number please but it feels completely natural to 
look them up on Instagram and say, hey, it was lovely to meet you. So there is this really big creative community in London. And I go to events or book launches or there was a really big craft market in London, the Renegade Craft Fair. And probably about 60 of the people um, 60% of the people there I all knew, like everyone who had stalls selling stuff are all people that I've met before or people that I follow. And um, so there's a really nice sense of community. And do you find when, you, when you're doing Instagram stories, uh, I mean, do you mainly do photos or do you do video as well? Um, I do videos and I sort of show behind the scenes and I talk to the camera as well. I kind of say, hey, Instagram, this is what I'm doing today. Um, and yeah, and that's just sort of what people respond really well to. It's one of those things, if people didn't like it, I probably wouldn't bother doing it, but I've had so many lovely messages from people, um, saying that they check every day to see if I've done any new stories and how much someone in Italy says that they watch my Instagram stories to help them practice listening to English. (laughs) Um, and yeah, and I meet people that I know in real life and they, say oh we love listening to your stories your voice is so calming and relaxing which is um, true <laughs> it's funny they're I, gonna love this podcast imagine more than 15 seconds of you <laughs> yeah it's funny because I've always really um hated the sound of my voice but having done Instagram stories and had so many people particularly Americans love my accent so I've kind of come to terms with that I feel a lot better about it now yeah you see, because I do freelance video stuff, I'm always sort mm. of explaining to people about you know, using <laughs> something like Instagram stories can break down that barrier, as in people feel mm. like they're getting to know you and then that can help you uh, when it comes uh, to work further down the line. And I know it's not been going that long, but have you found that? Yeah, I get so many more Instagram messages than I ever did before. So I do think people do feel... Um, from the Instagram stories that that makes me very approachable and very relatable. Um, the other thing is I have noticed that it sort of drives sales to my shops because for weeks I can be showing, I was working on Christmas cards. So people saw the initial sort of sketches and then the paintings and they saw how I was editing it. And then I sort of showed them when they first arrived. So as soon as they went on my shop, because people had seen the whole process on Instagram stories, they wanted to buy them straight away. Um, so that was really great. Um, yeah, when I was at Renegade Craft Fair, actually, it was funny because I came around the corner and there was a couple of girls and they went, oh, we knew it was you. We recognised your voice. <laughs> <laughs> so that was really funny. That's really lovely. And that's great, isn't it? So the way mm. they're invested in watching your process. Yeah. Uh, and then that translates through to to a sale as well. Mm-hmm. Really, really good. And yet you're sort of reticent about doing or hesitant about doing a, a YouTube uh, channel, for example. Yeah, and and the other thing that I get asked absolutely all the time, because I teach a lot of workshops in London, I'm always being asked, will I do um, online workshops with sort of video and um, or will I do YouTube tutorials and that kind of thing? Um, I think... I'm just so busy. I think I feel like if I did that, I'd have to drop something else and it would just be a whole new set of skills to learn. I'd have to learn to edit and film things properly and 
Um, I like Instagram stories because they're so disposable. You know, they're gone mm. in 24 hours and you can't really edit them. And they take 10 seconds and, yeah, so they feel quite safe and I don't really have to think about the fact that, you know, several thousand people are watching me talk in my studio, like wearing glasses and no makeup. I don't really think about it that much. I don't know. It, maybe I'll get there next year and decide that it's a good idea. But um, just sort of dipping my toes in the sort of mm. with um, Instagram stories. It's a really good point. It's a lot more achievable to do those Insta or yeah to do Instagram stories than it is to do YouTube, which is much more polished, I guess. Than yeah, yeah. Um, and there's such a high standard now. People, you know, do such great videos on um, on YouTube. I think if I did one, it'd probably be a bit rubbish. So. <laughs> I don't know. It definitely takes longer, though. That's for sure. Yeah. There's no getting a uh, getting around that. Yeah, do, do whatever works for you. So, so have have you been asked about doing like online courses, for, or been tempted to do like an online course and like an extension of the workshop yeah, stuff? People ask that all the time because I will post on Instagram, sort of saying I've got a new workshop coming up in London, and people always comment and say. I'm from such and such a country, will you do one online? And again, it's just the time commitment. I think it would be a good idea um, from an income stream point of view, if you've got a online a web course that you can run regularly, in a sense, it's quite a passive source of income, which is great. It's just the time commitment of building a really, really good online course. So it's definitely something I would consider for the future, but I'd want to sort of do it properly. Yeah, it's all that action that it takes to be passive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's the thing. Um, now, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself, make two mm-hmm. true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What have you got for me? Okay. All the cutlery that I use at home is 17th century solid silver. <laughs> okay. Um, when I was a young child, I did a small amount of modelling and I struggle to remember the alphabet unless I sing it. <laughs> okay, I don't think you're alone in having to sing the alphabet. I think I still have to do that. <laughs> but maybe yeah. you don't and now I've just made myself look stupid. Modelling, modelling. What kind of things were you modelling as a child? Just... Little things like catalogue work, like kids' clothes when I was young. And 17th century silver. So all of your cutlery at home is 17th century silver? Yeah, well, there's a bit of IKEA um, stainless steel that kind of made its way in there through house shares. But um, otherwise, yes, it's all solid silver. How fancy. What is it that you love about the 17th century silver? Um, It's very nice to use. It's got a lovely... um, feel to it the design that I have is called old English and it's very sleek and very classic even though it's so old um so I'm really fussy about um knives and forks and spoons and how they feel in my hand um and I love the idea that someone in like Jane Austen time was using these knives and forks oh god that's got to be true you don't want to put them in a dishwasher there do you um oh I don't know if 17th century silver isn't true, it is a magnificent lie because I want that to be true. Model ABC, model. I don't think you modelled as a child. 
You're right. Yes! So I would have liked to. That would have been great. But no, that one's not true. So you do sing ABC. Me too. Yeah, it's really, um, it's a pain when I'm teaching brush lettering because I've got to write the whole alphabet and I miss letters out and I get letters wrong and I have to, um, or either I've got to keep silent and sing it in my head while I do it. Or if I talk people through what I'm doing, I kind of, I get really stuck around like S and T and R and I don't know what order they go in. So I have to ask people what letter comes next. Um, yeah brilliant um but yeah that's the that's the same for me is that it's just around that i always end up taking the run-up by going element of p just to get myself i think it's quite common for creative people to be mildly (laughs) dyslexic that's what i'm saying but um and then with the knives and forks thing that is because um my grandpa is an antique silver dealer and in our family, when you're 21, you get a canteen of um, oh, solid silver cutlery. How wonderful. As you say, 70, like just to think of that being used throughout the yeah, years. Yeah, it's incredible. really mental when you think about it. And it's incredible that, you know, things that were really made to last. I don't think anyone's going to be using our IKEA stainless steel cutlery in 100 <laughs> years' time. <laughs> now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? I think to have a little bit more confidence in myself, to charge a little bit more, say no to the free work and to um, not, you know, work myself into the ground so much. I mean, it's difficult. I'm such a workaholic. I probably would anyway. But um, it would be great to go back and be able to tell myself that it all works out. It's all fine. You don't need (laughs) to take every single tiny job because you're scared that it's all going to disappear tomorrow when you won't have any more work like it's all going to be fine yeah that's lovely you also mentioned in there like free work did did yeah. you slash have you do you still get get asked to do stuff uh on well for free or on spec however do you... occasionally not as much now i used to get asked a lot more um, I got asked recently, but um, from what I can tell on Twitter, that the, that person has been emailing every illustrator out there because lots of people have screenshotted it and shared it to say how terrible it is. And it really annoyed me getting that email because it was quite demeaning because it was, you know, we're looking for up-and-coming illustrators and we're offering you an exciting opportunity and this is collaboration in the truest sense. And, you know, and it isn't collaboration because... I would have done something for free and then they would have sold it for profit. But, you know, they would have mentioned my name. Um, but, yeah, I thought that was quite annoying sort of saying, oh, we're looking for up-and-coming illustrators. And it's like, it sort of makes you think, oh, well, I am up-and-coming. I'm I'm not there yet. I should t- say yes to this. And, and you shouldn't. So would you say to, like, somebody who was starting out, for example, who... Um in quotation marks, will get the exposure and things that get get promised, but they should just hold tight and say, no, do you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Uh, it's a difficult one because I did quite a lot of free work while I was still studying as well as the paid work. And I think if I hadn't done any free work ever, um, I don't know if things would have taken longer to, to sort of get the ball rolling. Um, mm it did provide pieces to my portfolio and it did um, sort of 
also provide a bit of a community with working with sort of independent magazines and things that couldn't afford to pay and other illustrators that worked with them who I'm still friends with. Um, I think generally I would say no to free work. I think a little bit of free work while you're a student, but if you're doing something for free, you need to be in control creatively. You don't want to be giving away your copyright. You need to be sort of doing work that you're proud to do that you want to have in your portfolio. Um, and there's a massive difference between a big company approaching you for free work who just doesn't want to pay you and, say, a little independent magazine that you really love that can't afford to pay you. Mm. So I would just be quite careful about what you say yes to. But I don't do anything for free now. And on the rare occasions that I have, um, I've always really regretted it because they always promise exposure in this and that and it never really comes through I found events and things I've done where I've been paid I've just been treated so much better and I've picked up more work from you know live illustration for example if I've done an event that I've been paid I'm just treated better on the night but I'm also have picked up more jobs from that and more clients and jobs where I've been convinced oh this is going to be such great exposure you know these you know various people will be there and it just hasn't worked out like that at all um so yeah I'm always disappointed (laughs) if I ever say yes to something free so I've kind of learned my lesson there awesome well thanks so much for talking to us do check out beingfreelance.com and on there of course we'll put links through to Emma's site and her twitter and her instagram and everything so you can check that out if you haven't before and also Check out all the previous guests, whatever they're up to. Remember, it's worth listening to their stories and their advice and their tips and their experiences. Uh, it doesn't matter if, you know, they're an illustrator and you're not or they're a developer and you're not. It's it's about the being freelancer. Do t- take a look there and subscribe uh, so that you don't miss an episode as well. But Emma, thank you so much. You're very welcome. It's nice to see in quite a few of your pictures, by the way, people listening to podcasts, specifically listening to podcasts, not just music, they're listening to you written they're listening to podcasts so so thank you very much you're welcome Um, if next time you could say listening to the being freelance podcast (laughs) thank you so much and all the best with it can't wait to see what you do next but all the best being freelance thank you very much 